Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Uplifting Impact Podcast. I'm Justin Ponder, Chief Information Officer with Uplifting Impact, and I'm excited to be hosting you today as we dive deeper into our journey to make the world more diverse, equitable, and inclusive. Today, I'm very excited to be talking with Hera Ali. Hera Ali is a leadership trainer and career coach and an acclaimed writer and speaker. She is also a successful entrepreneur who has launched several businesses to support her mission. Her work has been featured in Forbes, Telegraph, BBC, Harper's Bazaar, HuffPost, and Entrepreneur, among hundreds of other print, radio, and television outlets. They have all served her several prestigious honors and awards. She was recently appointed as the senior advisory team member at the Benedictine University, Illinois, L Leeds Leadership Program for Undergraduate Women and has joined WLG's Conversations with Men Advisory Council. It is, was also included in a list by Diverse in of Global D&I Voices to follow on LinkedIn. In addition, she has been featured as a role model in the book, Girls, Who Do You Want to Be? Alongside Phenomenal world changers. She is passionate about empowering women and ethnic minorities, closing the gender gap, and advocating diversity and inclusion in the workplace. In 2019, she released her first book entitled Her Way to the Top, A Guide to Smashing the Glass Ceiling, which received outstanding testimonials worldwide. Her second companion book, Her Allies, A Practical Toolkit to Help Men Lead Through Advocacy, invites men to join the gender equality movement. Ali, welcome to our show. Thank you, Justin. It's a pleasure to be here. And I must say, thank you so much for giving the full introduction because usually people cut it off and say the first <laughs> few lines. And I was actually feeling a bit awkward. I was like, oh gosh, this, this is probably a bit too long. I should have said the shorter version. But thank you so much. Oh, the pleasure is all mine. Thank you very much for joining us. So our first question that we like to ask all of our guests is what brings you joy? What brings me joy is very easy. It's it's my family, my husband, my son. Uh, food and desserts bring me joy. <laughs> without yeah, without any question, definitely. Um, Netflix brings me joy, and of course, my work brings me joy. Ah, uh, very nice. And you find lots of opportunities to over to like kind of link all those things to maybe feed multiple birds from one trap where you're learning something on Netflix yes. and cooking and writing about it all at once. Yes, uh, I think so. Yes, probably. So it's usually I think after um, a good day when, when I've delivered a great workshop or I've written something good, submitted a great article, then I would go and unwind by cooking because I love cooking. So mm. I'll go and cook a meal and then I'll sit down with the family, watch Netflix, <laughs> binge watch it, any any series. And then, yeah, I think so. Everything sort of. And then, of course, wrap it up with dessert. So oh, that's yes. how it goes. <laughs> well, then I guess maybe one more slow pitch question. Favorite dessert? 
Oh, anything to do with chocolate, I would yes. say. Oh, yes. That's fantastic. <laughs> yes. All right. So maybe another question is you mentioned when you've had a really good workshop, we have lots of people who are beginning to do trainings um, to be on the learning side or also on the training side. So what is the hallmark of a really good workshop? So if I'm setting out and I'm structuring some training for my work, what should I look for to make a good workshop? Or if I'm on the other end, you know, we're spending lots of time in these seminars. How do I be a good audience member? So from the instruction side or the audience side, what does a really good workshop look like? Wow, that's a very loaded question. But for me, <laughs> I think it's very simply the feedback. So um, mm. particularly these days, because we're doing lots of online Zoom sessions, um, you know, right after the session, you get to see what people are saying about you, you screenshot it, <laughs> then, you know, you read about it, you feel good. So for me, I think it's it's definitely what, what people are saying, what the participants are saying. And that is for me. And then, of course, I also need to feel good about it because sometimes, um, you know, I feel, oh, you know, I should have done this better or this could have been done in a certain way. So that I would, I feel that, oh, yes, you know, I could improve that bit a bit, you know, I, I could improve that a bit more. But when the participants are happy and, you know, I have delivered the promise and the goals um, and the organizers are happy, then I believe I feel, okay, you know, I think I should be kind to myself and celebrate it for what it is. And I think from the audience perspective, I would say, you know, I really resonate with speakers who are authentic and who are spontaneous. Um, I, I don't like rehearsed speeches. I like speaking spontaneously myself. So, um, and of course, preferably a bit of humor because I, <laughs> I, I include a lot of humor in my presentations um, and I always get very good feedback for that. So, so I, for me, that would, uh, and, and something which is relevant, of course, and which creates awareness and which is, uh, you know, which starts and finishes on time because that, <laughs> that can be, can, that can be really, really something which dismisses people off because, you know, when you just exceed the time limit. Absolutely. So, uh, so I think that, that, that's all. Yeah. So you obviously demonstrated a lot of passion about this work and about having these workshops and learning and teaching authentically. What made you decide to start your own business and help others advance their potential in the first place? What brought you to this? Um, so it's been a long journey, Justin. It started off in Pakistan, where I'm originally from, and I did my master's in, in human resources. My father was actually an inspiration because he was in HR for, for a very long time. Um, and, and that's when I decided that, you know, I want to go into this profession. I really liked interacting with people. I wanted to create a positive impact. Um, and then when I started working, you know, it was HR was, was one of the first things that I did. While I was working there, I realized specifically it's the training aspect, the coaching aspect, which really interests me because there's comp and band, there was recruitment. I didn't like recruitment as much. Comp and band was also good, but a bit dry for me. I mean, overall, yes, you know, if I work as an HR generalist somewhere, I would be working in all these aspects of HR. But uh, primarily for me, it was training and coaching, which really made the difference. Um, and specifically, women leadership coaching is something which I found was being very well received because I worked in male dominated um, 
you know, companies and departments. And there I would, I felt that there weren't a lot of women specific training interventions happening. So that's what I started off 15 years ago in International Women's Day, women specific trainings. Um, and they did very well. And I carried them forward everywhere in every country that I moved to. So when I went to Dubai, when I moved to Dubai a few years later, I continued doing those trainings. And then I came to London. I again also continued doing those trainings. And that's where I also realized that women across the world somewhat face very similar challenges. Um, and, and that's also when I made a very important discovery that it's not just women, but people in minorities. So men and women in minority or you know, irrespective of your gender, faith, ethnicity, um, you know, orientation, whatever it is that makes you different or the only one in the room, like common challenges that hold you back, you know, like imposter syndrome or perfectionism or fear of failure or fear of vulnerability. And um, so I felt that, you know, I could really help people in, in overcoming that. Uh, and so far I have been doing that and, and it's, it's been great. So that's, now, that's how it all started. That's how it all evolved. And that began to hit on some of the questions that I was going to ask following up is you talked about women-specific training and you mentioned things about like perfectionism and imposter syndrome. What were some of the yeah. other things that HR training that has a generalist approach misses? A lot of our listeners work in spaces with maybe more traditional people in leadership positions who say, no, we treat everybody the same. Yeah, the same yeah. training should work for everyone. What would you say to those people to help them kind of appeal to their leaders to say, no, this training needs to be different. There's people from yes. minority groups who have specific concerns. What would those be? So, um, you know, I wrote this article in Forbes, which was very well received. And this was, I think, a year back when we launched um, an online women leadership program. And that's what I shared. I said, you know, people say it's leadership programs should be gender neutral. Um, and yes, I understand from where they're coming. But to be honest, we have to recognize that men and women have very different leadership styles. You know, they're women's specific strengths and they are, um, you know, men have specific strengths. And when you combine those two, uh, you can really get a great leadership style because I don't want to be gender biased here and start gender wars and say, oh, women are better leaders than men or or X, Y, Z, I feel like, you know, if you combine both the traits, but you have to understand that women do enter the workforce far less confident than their male counterparts because of the social conditioning, the way they've been raised, the way they've always been told to put their head down, you know, don't brag, don't speak out of turn. Um, so, so the, and the same message has not been given to, to men, right? Boys have been raised very differently. And this is something which I realize is not only specific to you know, the South Asian culture, uh, you know, that, that's where I'm from. This is this is a global thing, irrespective mm -hmm. of your culture, faith, background. Women are raised very differently from men, uh, and as a result of which they have specific needs, which which need to be you know catered to. Uh, and in these trainings, we do talk about these internal barriers, you know, like imposter syndrome. And I'm not saying that this is gender specific, and men don't experience imposter syndrome at all because men in minority uh, or, or men in from of from uh, you know from different uh, racial ethnic backgrounds also experience the same issues and same challenges, uh, but it's just that yes, when you're in minority, the challenges are different. Uh, mm. And you know, I, I did a survey also uh, to test the theory, and, and and you know, the results were, were quite similar to what I'd actually come up with. That you know, this is what it is: imposter syndrome, fear of failure, vulnerability, because you're so trying hard to prove yourself, right? Um, that that these challenges come up. 
And it's not just the internal psychological mechanisms. It's yes. also the, the perception too. Yeah. Yeah. The like women can, if they act assertive in meetings, if they speak up and hold the floor, they will actually be perceived as bossy aggressive and mean bossy. and aggressive. If, yes. As opposed to their male counterparts doing the exact same thing. Wow, Absolutely. they're authoritative Absolutely. and assertive. <laughs> and just what is interesting is that sadly, most of these challenges are intertwined. So if you have imposter syndrome, you most probably will have perfectionism. You will not step up and promote yourself because you feel like, you know, am I even good enough to promote? And that leads to um, exhaustion and stress and, and time poverty. So everything is intertwined. And all of this is actually a result of the external bias and external conditioning that women face. So it's it's just a vicious cycle which we which we really need to address. We need to address the internal and external challenges which women and minority groups face if we want them to smash the glass ceiling. And you mentioned there towards the tail end of that answer about kind of self-care about the ways in which there might be difficult situations in the workplace that compromise or exacerbate my imposter syndrome or my desire for perfectionism. And then that it exhausts people. Yes. What training techniques or what things would you recommend for self-care? Because also these groups are taught that self-care is a luxury you don't have. If you're going to make it, you have to hustle. You have to hustle. uh Uh-huh. So what would you recommend about self-care for people who think self-care means taking it easy? No, I think in a world of today where we're already experiencing so much stress and burnout, I think we need to really change the message, especially for people from minority groups who are told to hustle. You know, I know a lot of my friends from the Black community and from the South Asian um, community who have been told that, you know, if you want to make it big, you really need to work hard. You need to put your best foot forward. You need to always be perfect. And that's exhausting, you know, that's unfair. And these people also suffer from what you call minority stress and acculturative stress. Um, And that leads to health issues. So if they don't take care of themselves, eventually that's going to impact not just their mental health and their physical health too. So I would say it's very important to recognize this, understand the symptoms of whatever they're experiencing is normal. A lot of people from minority groups experience this you know, use some strategies to detach yourself from that. And then, yes, take time out, you know, meet with people who have similar challenges so that you feel that you're not the only one, because that is a great respite in itself, you know, knowing that you're not the, you're not alone in this. There are a lot of other people who are experiencing the same challenges. Um, And then just, you know, telling yourself that you're good enough, taking out time for yourself because nobody else will. And you have to set that example for your children, you know, if you have children or, you know, nieces, nephews, you know, the younger generation, if you don't take time out for yourself, then that's, that's, that's the message they could do always. Right. Is that you have to run yourself into the ground, just like mom, yes. dad, uncle, and auntie, grandparents. Yes. Right. So I'd like to change gears for a little bit here and talk about your book, Her Allies, a practical toolkit to help men lead through advocacy. So you invite men to join the gender equality movement. Why do you think it is important for men to not only join, but to also champion this movement? And what does that look like? So there's championing, but not getting in the way, not leading, <laughs> not falling into saviorism. So, yes. Yeah, so allies need to be mentors, sponsors, you know, co-pilots, defenders, amplifiers, but not saviors. <laughs> because, <laughs> you know, uh, some people, some women might like to um, be rescued, but most women don't want to be rescued. They don't need a knight in shining armor. They just need somebody who can 
you know, push them and encourage them, support them. Why it's important for men to contribute? Uh, Justin, you know, just like me, in every country, in every institution, public or private sector, it's the men who are occupying dominant positions, leading positions, right? Everywhere right. in the world. Um, so we do need support from men and we need uh, men to actually call out any bias or sexism that which they see because sometimes, well, actually, to be honest, let's be fair here, I'm, I'm being generous, it's not sometimes, all the time when, it, when men call it out, it's much more believable. Mm-hmm. You know, people take it more seriously. You know, women who have reported sexism or have reported bias or have, complained of discrimination they have been told oh you know you're you're just um you're just being ungrateful what are you whining about you're being emotional you're overreacting but when men call out the same thing it's take it's it's somehow more credible Mm -hmm. yeah it's kind of that aura of if you've been socialized to think that men are rational logical objective when they bring out a criticism that it it seems more rational logical and objective and then also it's kind of you mentioned the core of allyship. It's advocating for an identity group to which I don't belong. Because one of the most common tropes is, of course, you would complain about this and you want change that serves you. But then all of a sudden, if someone from another group who actually benefits from the current structure says, no, this is wrong, we should change it. All of a sudden, it completely debunks that. Yes, exactly. So that's the reason why we need men, you know, the good allies to actually call out people (laughs) who are, uh, you know, who, who are misogynist. Or who are racist, sexist, not just about gender, because you know women are some, sometimes they are in double or triple minorities, right? So mm-hmm. they, they face multiple forms of discrimination, like a, a black woman or an Asian woman or a Muslim woman, you know, um, or, or, or a woman with a disability or a trans woman. So so that's there too. Intersectionality is is a big part of this. And you mentioned quite a lot about interrupting microaggressions. So men being allies by interrupting bad stuff. What would be some of the good to advocate for as well? The ways which maybe even be more problematic for men trying to be allies is how can I help women without falling into the saviorism? So you mentioned mentoring. What other examples of not just standing up to other men would look like good male allyship? Um, So simply in meetings, you know, um, this Mm -hmm. is a very small example. Women are very regularly talked over interrupted ideas are stolen um so just amplifying their voice you know mm-hmm. and, and giving the credit back to them or also if somebody passes a sexist comment uh it's so common you know everything is like oh these infantile jokes which which are seemingly harmless but they are condescending and derogatory so just saying that hey that's not okay not engaging with that you know um, or asking a reflective question so that the person is forced to to retreat or, you know, reframe his What comment. did you mean by that? <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, you know, if somebody says, um, oh, she's bossy or, you know, she's too aggressive. So you say aggressive, you know, you sort of sway yeah. back at him so that he's able to explain himself better. And, and hopefully if you don't engage, and even if there's nothing you can say, I would say just be quiet. And hopefully the awkward pause is going to make him regret his decision and not say it again. <laughs> yeah, creating that reflective vacuum where someone yes. has to think back on what they just said. Absolutely. Really I like, I love the word reflective <laughs> vacuum. Yes, that's a good one. <laughs> All right. Well, it's been a pleasure. How do our guests stay in contact with you? Um, so I'm very active on LinkedIn. My um, profile there is Hira Ali Coach. I don't know why I added coach, but that's what it is. Hira Ali Coach. <laughs> um, and then um, 
on LinkedIn. My company pages on Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter is at Advancing You. So the handle is at Advancing You. And my main company website is advancingyourpotential.com. So that's how you can reach out to me. All right. Well, thank you very much for being here with us. And I will make sure that we have that also in our notes. So thank you very much here, Ali. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much, Justin. Thank you for inviting me. And everyone out there, we're so glad that you tuned into this week's episode of the Uplifting Impact Podcast. We need more people to help us uplift the impact. And in order to do so, be sure to share this episode, comment on it by going to our website at upliftingimpact.com, or provide your thoughts directly to us through LinkedIn at Uplifting Impact, looking for Justin Ponder and Deanna Singh. Until next week, keep uplifting the impact. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.